Yes, please. <laughs> Today? Hi. Oh, hey. Ooh, You're we're on. live. You can, you can even pick up my voice through that mic. Hot mic. <laughs> uh, so let's pray. Let's pray for Joel and pray for ourselves as we, uh, as we listen for good news uh, in our midst. Father, thank mm. you for the, uh, your good news, the good news of your gospel that we've already heard. Uh, but I pray today that we would have ears to hear um, and hearts to understand and wills to obey the good news that you are going to be uh, revealing to us today. Pray for uh, Joel as he proclaims and for us as we listen, that we'd all be able to hear and respond to good news, the good news of your gospel today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Ben. Good morning. Man, I feel like I'm loud. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's good to be here among you all this morning. Uh, it, is pif it is epiphany, right? Epiphany doesn't always fall on a Sunday, but this year it does. Um, so the Epiphany is the time when the church celebrates the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. And we, uh, that's represented in the story that we heard today from our gospel reading of the Magi coming from the east to Jerusalem. As I was looking up the definition of Epiphany, I ran across another definition, which was a moment of sudden revelation or insight. So in our church, at the, here at the table, in our community, in our discipleship formation, there's a, a word that we use uh, to, dis, to talk about this moment of sudden insight or revelation, and that is kairos. And I had many kairoses or epiphanies uh, over the past week when preparing this sermon for today. And one of those was uh, the fact that I need to hear this good news uh, as much as anybody does here this morning. And so with that, I say to you all this morning, the Lord be with you, and I thank you. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay homage. When King Herod heard this, he was terrified, and all Jerusalem with him. Friends, we live in a world where uh, the fear of losing our safety and our security is exploited often by those in power to manipulate and control the powerless, um, a world where generosity is often in short supply and where far too many people with most of the power would rather put up walls and violently threaten those who disagree with them and look upon the poor and the powerless as either pawns to be manipulated or a burden to be cast aside. These are the traps of privilege and power in our world. But friends, the power of God looks nothing like the power 
of the kings and rulers of this world. Amen. Amen. <laughs> the power of God is found in, uh, in the humility and the scandal of an illegitimate pregnancy to a poor refugee family. This is what the power of God reveals itself as. God is not like the kings of this world, not a king who is hell-bent on consolidating his power and coercing into submission his people through fear. Friends, today we proclaim this good news, that in Jesus Christ, God comes as our generous king who is both for us and with us. That's the good news today. Friends, we just ended Christmas. Yesterday was the last day of Christmas. We're now out of Christmas. We're into Epiphany. However, we are in the middle of uh, what, at least in the Rocky household, is the um, multitude and abundance of candy season. <clears throat> That's typically in sometime around uh, Easter, after Easter, and begins um, at the end of October with uh, the holy day of Halloween. <laughs> so this year, uh, Miranda and I took our kids, Nolan and Olivia, out with some neighborhood friends around our neighborhood. And I swear to you, our children came home with bags this big with no space left for candy in them. As we brought, as we hauled these bags into our home, I could feel the teeth rotting from my face, just bringing the candy into our home. So <clears throat> a few weeks ago, uh, my daughter had a sleepover with uh, her good friend. And so while she was gone, <clears throat> I was passing through, we have a small bathroom in our home that connects two different rooms. And I was passing through this bathroom, and I noticed in the bathtub a small plastic uh, shoebox that has uh, our son's name, Nolan Rocky, uh, written on it in Sharpie. This box, I was already aware, was the box that my daughter, Olivia, had chosen to hide her candy in from the rest of the family. Now, <laughs> the sight of this shoebox in the bathtub made very little sense because you don't store a shoebox full of candy in a bathtub that gets a, in a room that gets a lot of traffic if you're looking to hide your candy. So it struck me as curious, but I sort of just like figured out ah, I'll let her deal with it when she gets home. So the following day, Olivia comes home, and sure enough, after a you know, long night having a sleepover, emotions were high and volatile in our home. And that, later that afternoon, we were, the, the family was huddled around in the, in the kitchen, which sits right next to this bathroom. Olivia walks into the bathroom. She discovers her uh, box of candy, her stash, in the bathtub, and she immediately begins calling out her brother and accusing him of being the one who not only hid her candy in the tub, but also had helped himself to the, her candy, had stolen her candy. And as she's going on and on, Miranda and Nolan and I, we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to bring a little bit of humor to the, to the situation. So we, 
We thought it was a little funny that she was accusing her brother of taking candy from a box that ironically had his name on it. <laughs> we had a good laugh. Olivia found no humor in it whatsoever. And she immediately, uh, she, she became more and more frustrated. And she immediately not only lashed out at her brother, but then began accusing Miranda and I for not coming down hard on him with our righteous fists of justice. And not only that, but also... It's not just him that takes my candy. You guys aren't innocent in this either. You guys are constantly taking my candy. Everyone in this house is constantly taking my candy. And it's not fair. It's not fair. Now, it would be really super easy. And I was almost afraid to share the story because it's super easy to take this story and paint this picture of this selfish kid hoarding all that they can get their hands on with no intention of sharing and then lashing out at everyone else, suspiciously accusing others of plotting against her. But the truth of the matter is, is that um, my daughter's suspicion and accusations, uh, she comes by them honestly because, <laughs> because even though her and her brother, after Halloween, divided up their candy, kept some for themselves, donated some to Miranda to take to share with students at her school, and even are generous with their candy with us when we're, when we're, when we're kind and ask them for a piece. Even though, even though that's, uh, that, that's, that's what they did, they still live in a home where they have two full-grown adults who um, are constantly rummaging through their hard-earned candy stash to take whatever sugary morsel just happens to satisfy their sweet tooth at the time. I'm guilty of it. I'm, I'm not going to throw my wife under the bus, but... <laughs> Even when my kids try to be generous, they get taken advantage of. It's this kind of abuse of parental authority that led my daughter to hiding her candy in a tub marked with her brother's name in the first place. She was desperate. She had no other options. We're talking about candy. And yet, we're not really talking about candy here. Olivia felt like her trust had been broken. She felt like her supply of candy wasn't safe in her own home. And there was never going to be enough candy for her with the people who were bigger, who had the most power in the house, were constantly helping themselves to whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it. So rather than our home being a place where true open-handed generosity could exist and could flourish, it becomes a realm of consolidation and self-preservation. Our kids learn to live in an economy of scarcity where there's never enough and where those who are in power are constantly threatening to take from them at any moment. Friends, God is not a ruler, a king, an authority who is bent 
on consolidating his power by coercing us into submission through fear of scarcity. This is not who God is. In Jesus Christ, God has come as our generous king who is both for us and with us. In our gospel reading today, in the midst of God's revelation of true kingship and power, we see how those in power respond when their comfort and their security is threatened. We see how uh, this grip of paranoia and anxiety can make it nearly impossible to experience the wonder and the awe and the generosity of the presence of God with us, Emmanuel. It's an economy of scarcity into which this abundance of God's generosity is born. Matthew's gospel narrates the birth of Jesus much differently than the gospel of Luke. So there are no uh, shepherds quaking at the sight. There are no hosts singing alleluia. Uh, We just get a picture of Joseph having this vision and where an angel comes to him and uh, beseeches him not to abandon his pregnant bride-to-be even though this pregnancy might bring shame upon her and him both. This child, we're told, that will be born into scandalous circumstances, this is the sign of God with us. So, with, very, with, with zero fanfare around Jesus' birth, Matthew quickly takes us to the socio-political situation at the time of Jesus' birth. In the time of Jesus' birth, there was a king in Judea. And this wasn't the kind of king that we see in uh, the psalm that we read earlier today. Psalm 72 that talks about a king who will defend the afflicted, who will save the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. In fact, if we read just past our gospel reading today, we'll see a king that will do exactly the opposite to protect his own interests, that will go after the most vulnerable, that will go after the the weak, that that will be the oppressor. Herod was not a king who was anointed by God, who was looked upon with favor by his people. He was... a a vassal of the Roman Empire put in place to maintain peace and to promote and support the interests of the Roman Empire, not those of his own people. And so Herod, Herod maintained his own and his family's relative comfort by participating within this kind of authority, and also was paranoid enough that if one of his family would threaten his power, he'd go after them as well, which is exactly what he does when he has two of his sons murdered because he's afraid that they're plotting against him. He wasn't a man who brought peace and abundance to the people of his jurisdiction. He was a man who nervously, anxiously kept 
his people quiet for the sake of his own comfort and security. Matthew's gospel tells us that the birth of this child to Mary and Joseph would be the sign of God with us. And just in case we imagine that God with us looks anything like God coming in power and might to crush God's enemies and make Israel great again. This proclamation comes from a band of pagan scholars, outsiders, who come bearing gifts of royalty for this child. They're filled with wonder, seeking the newborn king of the Jews so that they might come and worship and bow down to him. Carlo read from Isaiah earlier. Um, We saw this picture of this thick darkness covering the earth and its people um, in violent oppression. It's under this darkness that this bright light of God with us is beheld by these by these pagan outsiders who come seeking a king who's worthy of allegiance, a king who's decidedly not Herod. And it scares the crap out of Herod. Herod lives with a script of scarcity, of grasping for whatever thread, whatever shred of uh, power he can get his hands on. And when that power is threatened in fear. He refuses to loosen his grip and he oppresses those who are the most vulnerable. It's, it's, really, it's really super easy for me in seeing this picture of Herod to paint Herod as the super villain of this story. And... Um, Make no mistake, he's not a good dude. Again, if you read right past uh, our gospel reading today, we see just how bad of a dude Herod can be. But as I meditate on this passage and I consider the ways that I grasp and hoard and believe this script of scarcity myself in my own life, It's easy for me to see how I grab onto that, and I believe that as the truth rather than submitting myself in a posture of submission and trust that God is not a God of coercion and fear, but yet God is a king of generosity who is for us and with us. The epiphany, this revelation of Jesus as God for us and with us, invites us today to trust in God's provision for all that we need, living in this world in a posture of generosity and peace, holding on to things loosely instead of maintaining a tight grip on that which we have with an attitude of of mutuality 
and sharing with others. This is what characterizes the reign of Christ's kingship. And it's in stark contrast to that of Herod. Christ's kingship is one of self-emptying rather than self-sustaining. Rather than hoarding all that we can or taking whatever we want whenever we want it from whoever we want to take it from. Even in infancy, Jesus exposes the violence of power politics. He exposed the violence that lies not just closely to the hearts of those who are in power, those who have the power, but the violence that lies all too close to all of our hearts. When we choose to live in an economy of scarcity, or even when we have that uh, living in an economy of scarcity put upon us, the story of Jesus is about God's generous presence and healing mercy the God who is the generous king who is both for us and with us. I have a difficult time trusting in a God who is a king of generosity. And this really uh, came to light for me this past week, even in preparing this sermon. I've found now, this is I think the third time that I've preached here at the table and in being a part of the College of Preachers, the more and more I've, I've been a part of it, and the more I've preached, I'm finding I'm not getting, it's not becoming any easier for me. <laughs> and one of the things that I was able to notice this past week was that what I tend to do is rather than rest in God's goodness and God's generosity and hear good news about who God is and who I am because of that, in preparing a sermon, I tend to try to just grasp any bit of information I can that's going to inform the sermon that I'm going to prepare. Because what I believe, I think, in my bones is that the good news that God has for me isn't really good news, or it's not good enough news for everyone else. And so I need everyone else's information and insight to really put something together that's going to be of any value and any worth to this community. And so then, even if I can pull myself away from preparing a sermon to spend a few minutes with my wife or my children, um, having a meal, I find that it, it's really difficult for me even to be present in those moments because I have this anxiety surrounding uh, the lack of information I, I'm getting a hold of or the time that I'm putting into preparing the sermon. And so it's never enough. There's never enough, never enough time, never enough information. And it makes it nearly impossible for me to hear good news but friends, we have a king who wants to save us from living in a world in a posture of fear and self-preservation. And this is the good news that I heard this week and I'm continually trying to believe, that God in Christ has come as our generous king who gives us all that we need 
and not only that, but is for us and who is with us. Friends, today uh, we're going to respond to this good news uh, with this prayer. Gracious God, you'll find it in your, in your booklets. Gracious God, thank you that my security is not dependent on my ability to overpower others. Enable me to live fearlessly generous in blank, trusting in your provision for all that I need. Lord, in your mercy, and we'll agree, hear our prayer. Friends, how is God calling you to respond to this good news that we hear proclaimed over us today. This good news that God is not a king who uses coercion and fear to control us, but that God is a God of generosity. He's a king of generosity, and he is both for us and with us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you that my security is not dependent on my ability to overpower others. Enable me to live fearlessly, generous in the opportunities that I have to spend time with my wife and with my children, trusting in your provision for all that I need. Lord, in your mercy.